Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that that is our story, Lord. Father, not by any of our own doing, Lord Jesus, but Father, it's your grace that's given us that kind of a story. Lord, that we can lay perfectly in submission to your word, Lord, at rest in Jesus Christ, Lord, not concerned with the way the world is going, but knowing that we have one in whom we have believed in, Lord. That, Father, you will watch over your own and you will be sure, Lord, that we are in you and you will come for us when the time is right, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can gather here again tonight, and I pray you just anoint the words, Lord, that are spoken, Lord Jesus, to our hearts. Lord, help me, Lord, not to say anything of my own, Father, but we commit it into your hands, Lord, and pray, Lord, that you would be with the reading of it, the hearing of it, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying tonight. We love you, Lord, and we commit the service now to your hands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Amen. God bless you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord again this evening. Certainly appreciated the service this morning. I, I think it's just wonderful sometimes to revel in the wonderful word that we've received and to enjoy it and relish it and to keep reminding ourselves of how privileged we really are that we know we're not of the group that says, I thought Elias was to come first. But we're of another group that knows Elias, he's already came. Amen. What a honor, what a privilege, what a grace of God. Amen. Thank you to the musicians, those who sang specials. God bless you. Sister Abigail, Sister Susan, God bless you. Amen. Brother Mark Kesser, God bless you. It's good to have you here on your birthday and with us. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do not look on things after the outward appearance. If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. Amen. Let's turn also over to Romans chapter 10 while you're standing. Sorry to keep you standing, but Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And the next verse says, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Amen. I want to speak tonight, and I, I, I really... As I was studying this afternoon, it just expanded a different way. So we'll title it tonight, Recognizing the Season of the Anointed Word. Recognizing the Season of the Anointed Word. And 
Maybe today we often think of, of why we preach so much on the thought life, and it's so important to preach on that. But I want to say this, that it's because we've, we've turned it where we've gone beyond just the I age. The I age was the seer, and that was the prophet, the seer that was here to see things afar off and to bring to us the word and the mystery of God would be finished. But now we've moved into the intelligence age. And there's something that happens in the intelligence of everybody, including the body of Christ, and that's the thoughts. In your thought life and where we're living at is in an age where Satan even has decided to attack the thought life. And Brother Brandon would talk about even the, in the Laodicean church age, talk about how they were wretched. And he said the word comes from two Greek words called endure and trial. And he says it's got nothing to do with the trials that come to a true Christian. Of, for God describes a Christian in trial as blessed. And his attitude, one of joy, whereas this describes, this wretched is phrased as wretched and miserable. And how strange, in an age of plenty, in an age of progress, in an age of abundance, how there can be trials. Well, now, isn't it strange, but in this age of plenty and opportunity, when someone has so much, and there's so much more to be had with all the inventions that do our work and the many things to give us pleasure, but suddenly we find mental illness taking such a toll as the alarm of the nation. So now we find it, he's talking about in our age, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked, and how that in our age is the age where it's, it, it, it suddenly becomes such an attack of a mental illness and mental diseases, and that, that's, it's been such an attack on things, but we know that Brother Branham even makes a statement again and again and again where he says the right mental attitude towards any divine promise of God will bring it to pass. Amen. So now as we're dealing tonight, and, and, and really at large, we're dealing with the thought life. And we need to bring into captivity every thought. Amen. Amen. We, we know to bring into our words and, and, and the, the, a man that can bridle his tongue and how we can act right and avoid the appearance of evil and, and different things like that that are outward that you can begin to, to, to uh, bring into submission. But yet this now brings it right down home into the private recesses of our minds to bring every thought captive to the obedience, bring into captivity the, every thought to the obedience of Christ. But now it says this, it says, even though if any man trusts to himself that he is in Christ, this is a private thinking. This isn't somewhere he's going around and someone just give them that, that testimony, but he says, this is your thoughts, that you think, no, I am of Christ. I know that I'm of Christ, and I believe, and I can justify myself as to why I'm in Christ. Says, think again, because even we, he says, are Christ. So in other words, do you measure up? There's an example that's gone before. There's the word of God that's gone before. Is your life worthy of the gospel or are we justifying our own way of life because it's a private thinking and then the relationship with Christ is not an outward relationship. It's an inward relationship that has outward workings. Amen. And so Paul puts himself right in the equation and said, we are Christ, so if you're Christ, you've got to come to a certain place. You've got to come to a maturity. It should be molding and shaping you into the image of Christ. You can't stay in sin and be in Christ. 
But I want you to notice it says that the right mental attitude uh, brings every, the right mental attitude towards every divine promise of God will bring it to pass. It doesn't say the right spiritual attitude. It says the right mental attitude. I find it amazing that he would repeat this statement over and over again in the, in the message and all the time he goes to the right mental attitude because there's many times you could look in the message and you could find where Brother Branham says, we're not looking for a mental conception, we're looking for a spiritual relationship and spiritual revelation. We don't want a mental conception, but then he takes almost a step sideways and says, but it's the right mental attitude towards every divine promise of God that brings it to pass. And now I wanted to pick this up from actually blasphemous names. Brother Branham says, he says, the biggest part of our faith is mental faith. He says, by hearing the word, it brings us to a mental recognition of God. In other words, this is where it starts. This is where revelation starts. It starts in the mind that you get a mental conception or a mental, I'll say, recognition of God. You begin to recognize in your thoughts that something here is going on that's deeper than just what I'm looking at. Something is happening that's greater than just what I happen to be feeling. This is God that's on the scene and you have to recognize it in your thoughts. And a mental recognition of God. Like Abraham, when Abraham was on the plains of Mamre, when he seen three strangers coming down, to many that looked at the same three people, they looked at it as just three people. But to him, there was a mental recognition that this is Elohim. This is the one that I've been looking for. This is Melchizedek. This is the one. Go get the fatty calf. Say it. Let's, let's make sure we, we, we get him to come into our house because there was a recognition. Something important is about to happen. Amen. And by that, he got the revelation. Amen. And now it says this. It goes on in the same quote. He says, but if this coming from above. It says, oh brother, if it ever strikes this, there is a godly spiritual faith. It says, then what does that faith do? That faith recognizes only the word. He says, listen, we need to have the biggest part of our faith is mental faith. And there has to be a mental recognition of God. But if it ever comes from above and it strikes this, down in the heart, there is a godly spiritual faith, and that faith will only recognize the word. No matter what anything else says, it only recognizes the word because in the beginning was the word. That almost seems a strange scripture to put in there as the reason this recognized only the word because if it drops down here, it's because there was a predestinated seed to receive it that came from God and was a part of that word in the beginning. Amen. And that it was with God because the word was with God and the word was God. So it's a part of God. And the word is still God and the word was made flesh and dwelled among us. And when the word itself is poured into our faith, our mental faith, becomes spiritual revelation. So catch that. When the word itself becomes poured into our faith, our mental faith becomes spiritual revelation. There has to be a thought pattern that coincides and agrees with the word in order for the word to become revelation. God can't pour in revelation if our thoughts are just scattered everywhere. 
He's trying to get to you something. He's trying to go deeper. That's why Satan has so bombarded this generation with what? Mental illness to get the people so they can't think straight. They can't even get their thoughts going in the same direction. And he's invented all kinds of devices to scatter the minds of the people. When God's trying to get it come down so you can get yourself quiet again. Amen. To allow God to move. That's why something like meditation is so important. When you, what is meditation? It's getting yourself quiet so God could come and speak and drop those thoughts of him that's been in your mind down into your heart and make it a revelation that then you can live by. Amen. One of the most frustrating things you'll ever do is try and live by mental reasoning. But one of the easiest things you'll ever do is live by spiritual revelation. Because it just comes out of you. Let's turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. It's eternal life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." So here we find the Lord Jesus as it begins to describe his mind. Let the mind, the mind that has wisdom, the Bible would say, let the mind that was in Christ be also in you. And it begins to describe what kind of a mind it was. It was humble. It was obedient. It brought its thoughts into captivity to the anointed word for his day. And Brother Bannon would say this, he says, it's your attitude towards, your approach towards the divine working of God will determine what you'll get out of it. Your approach, your attitude towards the divine workings of God will determine what you get out of it. In other words, if you just blow it off, you won't get nothing out of it. He said, but I didn't speak against the work of the Lord. He said, praise God, you didn't blaspheme it, but did you accept it? Did you recognize what God is doing in your day? What he's anointing today as his word today. Are we recognizing it and walking in that? Or are we just looking for something else? Because Jesus wasn't interested in looking for something else. Let me, let me just lay a couple of thoughts and then we'll... No, let's jump there. Let the mind that was in Christ be in you. What was the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ, as you look at these scriptures, it was, he was recognizing the season of the word of God that he was living in. So if you let that same mind be in you, would it not have to also recognize the season of the anointed word today? It would have to recognize what the Holy Ghost is trying to accomplish in our day. To stay right with what he's doing and be sold out to it until it manifests itself in your life. And I'll say it this way. I I don't have a right. As a born again son of God, I do not have a right to think my own thoughts. I gave those up. If you're a sheep, you don't have a right 
to decide where your wool goes to. You don't got a right to decide which rock you're going to lick on. You don't have a right to decide which sheepfold you're going to sleep in that night. Your right is given over to the shepherd to say, Lord, where you lead me, I'll follow. Where you lead me by green pastures, I'll go that way. If you take me out into the dry ground and cause me to lick on that sandstone, I'll take it in any day. The limestone, put a little honey on it for me. Make it a little sweeter. Whatever it is, Lord. If it has to be bitter, make it bitter. But I don't have a right to say I refuse. Because my life is not my own. Paul would say the life that I now live, it's not my life. It's Christ that liveth in me. Therefore, we don't have a right to say, well, I, it's my mind, and I'll put the thoughts in here that I want to put in here. No, it's, Lord, help me think on the thoughts. Let me meditate upon thy precepts and upon thy word. Not in day. David would say, let me write it upon my bedpost. Let it just be everything to me, Lord. And choosing of a bride, where the random pulls out a, a type of this, and he says, notice just a minute, the nun in the Catholic church, that woman, when she, to become a nun and take the last veil, she's absolutely sold out to that church. She is soul, body, and spirit, the property of that church. She has no mind of her own. She can't have, when she takes that last veil, no mind of her own, no will of her own. See, and Satan makes them his bogus, just like the true. Hallelujah. Next sentence he says, in the true church of Christ, the bride is so sold out to him and his promised word till the very mind that's in Christ is in you. How do I let the mind of Christ be in me? Just sell out to the word of God. Take him and him alone. It's your attitude. Talk about the difference between a Roman that day that put a rag around his head and smote him upside the head and said, prophesy, prophesy who hit you. And he didn't say a word. The man didn't get healed. He didn't get delivered or nothing. Here he was touching the flesh of God. But there was a woman that came with the right attitude that just touched the hem of his garment, never got a hold of his beard and pulled it out, never smote him across the face, never even touched his skin, just the hem of his garment, but with the right attitude, she got healed because it was her attitude that made the difference. He says it's the attitude that makes the difference. God, God's promises are between you and him. And I want to say this, forget about everything else. It's you and him. His promises are not you, your wife, and him. There's some for that, but his promises are to you and him. You've got to get yourself in your position before your neighbor could get in their position. It's between you and Christ. It's a personal, individual relationship. You can't blame your wife for your thoughts. Oh, but you don't understand what she's done, Brother Andrew. You can't blame her for your thoughts. Neither can she blame you for your thoughts. Oh, you did this to me. You can't blame your best friend for your thoughts. They're your thoughts. You are the one. You can't, you, now, you can't stop the bird from landing on your head. The old proverb. You can't stop the bird from coming and landing on your head, but you can sure stop him from nesting there. You can't stop. You, we could update that to Alberta. Springtime's coming on, you know. You can't stop a mosquito. Oh, everyone got negative thoughts now. You can't stop a mosquito from landing on your skin, but you can sure stop it from biting you. Yeah. Done. Yeah. 
It done landed. I couldn't stop it. I was trying to shoot away, but it came anyways, but it didn't have its pleasure. You can't stop thoughts sometimes. The devil throws things at you, but you can sure stop them from staying there. The promises are between you and God. There was a statement made to me recently that I want to just dwell on for a minute. That meekness, meekness is your attitude towards others. And humility is your attitude towards yourself. Meekness is your attitude towards others caused by the word of God in you. True meekness, the fruit of the spirit. Humility is your attitude towards the word of God in your own life. Brother Branham says this in the, at thy word. He says, at thy word, he says, I'm going to raise up from here. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but at thy word, Lord. He says, that's it. Take God at his word. God's spoken word will materialize and produce just exactly what it said it will. He says, the right mental attitude towards any divine promise of God will bring it to pass. I don't care what it is. If you plant, if you want corn, you plant corn. Hallelujah. You just water a corn and you leave the corn alone. And it'll produce wheat. No, it'll produce corn. You planted corn. If you wanted wheat, you should have planted wheat. He's talking about your thoughts. If you want to plant the right, if you want to reap the right harvest, plant the right seeds. Thoughts are seeds. And you've got to take them and plant the right ones and keep them. Planting is something that takes time and labor. Okay? You can have a bag of seeds. They're not going to grow in that bag. But if you take them and plant them in the ground, you've accepted them. You've chosen them as what you want to grow. You've decided this is what you're going to dwell upon and this is what you're going to spend time making room to make sure they happen and prosper and come to fruition. That's what he's talking about. The Bible said also the word of God is a seed. So don't plant a mixed bag. The right mental attitude. What's the right mental attitude? There's so many types of attitudes that a human can have. If you look up what attitudes people can have according to psychology, there's different attitudes. People can have manipulative attitudes, passive attitudes, pessimistic, aggressive, submissive, passive aggressive, positive, negative, collaborative, altruistic attitudes, emotional attitudes, neutral attitudes, natural attitudes, confident attitudes, flexible attitudes, empathetic attitudes, sardonic attitudes, nihilistic attitudes, suspicious attitudes, predators attitudes. These are all attitudes that people can have and people can exude throughout the day. And attitudes even are not just something that, okay, this person's nihilistic and that person's prejudiced and that's the way they are towards everything. No, attitudes are something that is, is, is formed by your emotions, beliefs, and behaviors towards an individual object, people, events, or things. In other words, you might have, you might be uh, um, um, positive towards this, but negative towards that. And you might have an attitude towards it. You could take, for example, like the weather. Some of us are optimistic about the weather and have an optimistic attitude. Some are pessimistic about the weather. And they have that kind of an attitude towards weather. And they've got that kind of thing that's often an experience that's made them that way. They had planned they were going to go out hiking. And they said it was going to be sunshine, so they planned for that day. And then it rained. So now every time someone says, we're going to go out and have a volleyball game, they're like, it's just going to rain. I know it. 
They're just become pessimistic about it. Why? Because it's an experience that molded them into the way they are towards the weather. But you don't have that same kind of an attitude towards something else. That's just attitudes. That's just a little bit of psychology for you. Apologize. I'm not trying to preach psychology. But what is the right mental attitude? I say it's either faith or doubt that dictates your attitude towards the word of God in your soul. That's from your soul. But it's the right mental attitude. It's the thought life. To bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of the anointed word for your day. Because it says to bring into captivity every thought to bring it into the obedience of Christ. What is Christ? The anointed one. It's the anointed word for your day. Bring every thought into captivity of that. Hallelujah. That's why it becomes so important when you have an opinion on something. Take it back to the word. Take it back to the message. Lord, I want to bring this thought, this opinion I have, I want to bring it back to this. What does Brother Branham say about it? Just take something out and say, oh, I, I think it's perfectly okay to wear shorts. And I can go out, it's hot, I wear shorts, no problem at all. I'm not, I'm not anything. But now what does the word for my day say about that? Take it back to there. And regardless of how I feel, remember, if I'm a born-again son of God, I don't have a right to my own thoughts. My right is to say, Lord, I'm subject to your word. What does your word say about it? Amen. Bringing captive all of your emotions, all of your behaviors, all of our personal beliefs and isms to the anointed word for your day. I'll just lay out a couple examples here. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3 says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now meekness is an attitude perfectly displayed by the Holy Spirit. There's different measures of meekness different people will have, but in order to have true meekness and to display it properly, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And it displays itself in Moses and his attitude towards others. Go with me to Exodus chapter 32. We'll just lay this in here. Amen. Exodus chapter 32 verse 9 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, this is right after he was up on the mountain, he come down there worshiping the golden calf, and he goes back up. And The Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make thee a great nation. I want you to stop for a moment, because when we look at this in in hindsight and in retrospect, we look at it and we see, of course, right, Moses wasn't going to go for that. Put yourself in these shoes for a minute. What was God offering Moses? He says, I'll elevate you to Abraham. This is the promise he gave Abraham. I'll show you a land. I'll make of thee a great nation. Your seed will be as the stars in heaven and as the sand upon the Now he says to Moses, I'll do that for you. But what does Moses say? I wonder how many of us would have went, that's a pretty good deal. You mean I don't got to put up with these people anymore? I didn't choose, but God gave me. I can just, they'll be all my seed now? All right. Let's do this. 
No, that wasn't Moses' attitude at all. And Moses besought the Lord. This is the meekness of Moses. This is what he's talking about when it says Moses was the very meek above all the other men on the face of the earth. Moses besought the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against the people which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief, did thou bring them out and slay them in the wilderness and to consume them upon the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servant. What was happening right here with Moses? It was the mind of Christ, the spirit of Christ that was coming upon him, taking over his own thoughts, his own thinking. If Moses had stopped and thought about it like we heard this morning, what am I doing? I'm rebuking God. Who do I think I am? This is not my place, but something had overtaken him to where he said, let the mind of God, Christ be in you, who thought in a robbery to be equal with God. And here the same mind comes into a man and he says, God, you ought to repent for saying that because don't you know the, the nations of the world, they won't see it the way you see it. They'll look at you and say, you weren't able to do it because he had something to go on. He had a basis because God will not deny his own word. The reason that Moses could display this meekness was because of the attitude of humility within himself towards the word of God. He was so humble towards the word of God, he wasn't willing to step out of his place even in the, after the emotion of God told him, I'll give you something else. I'll give you a different place in my word. I'll make a great nation out of you. But he said, no, Lord, you've already told me my place is to deliver. The patriarchs weren't to come out of me. You promised that to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the very next verse he says. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, thy servants, how thou swearest by thine own self. That was their part, Lord. You promised me my the anointed word in its season today is deliverance. I can't step outside of that anointed word. And God said that was the meekest man in all the earth. Why? Because it wasn't about him. If it was about him, he would have taken the option. But he didn't because he said, what about these people? People. Oh, praise God. He was so meek, he didn't single out the problem families. So, yeah, Lord, consume them. The rest of us will go on. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, there's none of them here, Brother Andrew. No, I'm, I'm the problem family, if there's anybody. So, if I pointed anybody here, there's three fingers pointing back at me, okay? So, don't put yourself in that shoe. But what was he saying? He said, No, Lord, they're all worth it. Every one of them, you brought them all out. You redeemed every one. No matter how many problems they got or how victorious they are or how great they are or how bad they are, you brought them all out. You even brought Dathan out and Korah out. Oh my, you even brought uh, the one that, uh, my, my brother Aaron that went and made this golden calf and then lied to me saying, I just threw it in the fire and no, pop this. But no, he fashioned it and carved it, but he said, no, Lord, him too. You purchased all of them. And I'm standing in the gap for all of them. 
Hallelujah. It was the spirit of Christ that he wasn't willing to say, oh, no, i just here for the good ones and the ones that will never fail me and will never trip up, never walk out of my church and walk away. But I'm here for all of them, whether they're born in the message and they go astray and they come back and they go and they come. I'm here for every single one of them because I will not lose one. Hallelujah. I know everyone that God put in my hand. And that was the spirit of Christ in Moses saying, I'm, I'm here standing for all of them, Lord. You redeemed them all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll say it this way. It was not out of sympathy or just being nice to the people. Moses wasn't doing this just to be a nice guy. No, sir. It was out of adherence to the word of God. It was because that was the attitude of Moses that nothing was greater or of any more importance than the word of God. Even the emotion of God could not sway the word of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look at Hannah for a moment. If we look at something on the other side, Hannah in the Bible, we know the story very well, how she was barren and how she, had, she was married to a man, Elkanah, and Elkanah had another wife because Hannah didn't bear him any children, so he got himself another wife. I believe that was the reason, if I'm not mistaken, and got this wife named Penina. And Penina had children, and she was very grievous to Hannah. And you know, Hannah went year after year after year with such a negative attitude. Why don't I have a children? Why don't I have a child? Why can't I have children? Why can't I have a child? And he was just bothering on her, bothering on her, bothering on her. But Brother Ronald says, it's your attitude towards the divine promise of God. It's your attitude. It's your, hallelujah, the right mental attitude. It wasn't that Hannah wasn't a child of God. Hannah was. She was a part of the tribe. Her husband was a priest. She had all of these things going on for her. In her heart, she knew she was right and she was pure. But in her mind, she was troubled and she couldn't get herself aside into thinking all the negative things of God is punishing me and this is not the right way and everything is terrible and I'll never have a child. What's wrong with me? And praying and it was always about her and her husband and Penina. It was Hannah, Elkanah, and Penina, the three of them together. And it was all three of them over and over and over until one time. Finally, because this now was a personal problem. This didn't concern anybody else. This wasn't the children of Israel going astray. This was between Hannah and God. And finally, when she got that attitude, when she realized, Lord, this has nothing to do with Penina. This has nothing to do even with my husband. She didn't come to God that time in the temple and begin to pray and say, Lord, maybe my husband is the one that can't have children. No, because he, she already knew. He had ones with Penina, so it's not his problem. But she began to realize, no, it's not that my husband's withholding from me. It's me, God. It's just between me and you when her attitude came to that recognition that, Lord, my humility isn't right. My attitude towards myself, the word of God in me, has been God can't do it. But I need to change that attitude. And she began to change it to such a way where she had no regard for her own husband. Really, Brother Andrew, think about this for a moment. A sister got alone with God and said, if you give me a son, my husband and I will raise him forever. No. Her husband didn't even come into the place. If you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. It was impersonal. A personal revelation. Where now it became just me and you, God, alone. I can't blame anybody else for my problems. She changed her attitude 
She had a deeper, a better attitude towards the divine promise of God, and God came on the scene. Let's take a look a little bit deeper here into attitude. Oh, my time is slipping away on me, but I can take a few extra minutes because Jeff took some of mine by his own admission. Amen. I want to I just say this. Brother Brandon makes this, draws this comparison right here, and he says, listen, he says, I'd imagine Jezebel, just because she had the name Jezebel, didn't make her what she was. It wasn't her name that did that. It was her attitude. That's what made it. But somehow, I even say it today. We'll say it this way before I go on. If we come, we just say Jezebel. Something in us that just kind of, uh, I don't like that girl. I don't like her. But then if instead we don't, we take the name out of it, and we just say, well, you know, she, she was very disrespectful, irreverent to her husband. And, uh, you know, a woman that's irreverent to her husband, we kind of say, yeah, well, that's most women today in the world. And, you know, she painted her face. Yeah, that's, yeah, I got good friends that do that. It kind of makes it, well, okay. Well, you know, she kind of worships models. Yeah, there's a lot of people that kind of have a lot of other things they worship, you know, so. But what does it make it? We're trying to put it on a person. When God doesn't hate the person, he hates the sin. Somehow we make convenience for the sin, but don't like the person. Because he goes on right here to say this. He says, listen, and the name, shouldn't, the name Jezebel shouldn't make us shiver like the attitude that she took ought to make us shiver. He says, but you mentioned Jezebel, and who am I? But mentioned some of her sin, and you go, oh, well, that's all right. It wasn't the name that made her, though. It was the sin that made her what she was. Your name don't make you what you are. It's your character that makes you. Your character molds you and makes you what you are. Sometimes we look too much on people and say, oh, yeah, no, that person, I don't like them very much. But it wasn't them. It was the spirit that got on them that caused them to do something. Hate the sin, not the sinner. He says, last evening, he says in another place, he says, last evening I seen people coming up from the balconies all around, weeping, standing around the altar, accepting Christ as their Savior. Look at their attitude, coming, weeping, repenting, accepting Christ. That was their attitude. But he says this, he says, I tell you, there's something emotional when the Holy Spirit sweeps over an audience of people to see their faces light up and a radiance that this world can never produce like that. Let me say this, the world can produce a lot of weeping, a lot of wailing, and a lot of feeling sorry for something you've done. But a godly repentance and let the Holy Spirit move, what's the end result? Not guilt, not shame, but a radiant glow that begins to come forth because there's forgiveness for sin. See, they came with the repentive attitudes, and God changed their attitude from repentative into joy. Hallelujah. Potentially, the joy was there. When you come and you repent, potentially, the joy was already in you. But God had to bring it out of you. It wasn't just an emotion. It was a shift or a change of attitude. He says this, he says, let me say it this way. In my own ministry, he's talking about people coming up before them in the prayer line. He says, it's a gift that by the Holy Spirit is able to concern in the thoughts of man. He said, and other hidden things. Now think about it. 
what kind of attitude do you think people came up into the prayer line with? They wanted to be prayed for. They wanted to be healed. That was their attitude. It wasn't a bad attitude. There's very few people that came up there with a bad attitude and wanted to disprove the prophet, but there was a few of them. But most of them came up with a desire and an attitude of, if I get to this man and he lays hands on me, I'll be healed. And that was the attitude that came up. But watch, because that was the outward attitude, but there's also an inward attitude now that begins to come out. Because he says now, he says, listen, he says, and, and, and he says, the, the other, he says, it's able to discern in the thoughts of man's heart and the other hidden things that only God could know and then reveal to me. He says, I wish you could stand with me and see the faces of people when Satan knows he's going, not he has been, he's going to be exposed. Just get in that atmosphere. Look what happens. The countenance of the people changes. You can imagine them coming up, maybe weeping, maybe, maybe just reverent, head bowed. But then when they step right up into the presence of the angel, it's a total change. Because Satan knows. He says it, it, is, it is that Satan has got a hold in their lives through sin. He doesn't say it's the people are bad people. Satan has got a hold of their lives in sin, indifference, and disease. But you, could see, but you should see their faces. Satan knows he's going to be exposed. And the most peculiar changes comes over the people's countenances. Satan is afraid. Praise be to God. It changes that countenance right there. It's a change, a shift of attitude. Where all of a sudden there's something that was hidden way down on the inside. That begins to come right out. Because it can't be hidden anymore. See, it's your faith or your doubt that will affect your attitude from the soul. I'm just going to carry on with some things here. He says, watch them on the platform in a healing service sometime. Watch the attitude that they come in here the other night. Remember, a lady come up with just enough didn't even hardly have enough faith. So here he's just described another attitude. He says, here comes a woman up on the platform. Didn't have hardly enough faith to get to the platform. Huh. She'd been in prayer line after prayer line. And Brother Brown says, he says, and I know the woman wasn't going to get healed. Oh my. Seeing her coming up there, and I knew it wasn't. She didn't have the right attitude when she came up to get well. So what's the right attitude to come in faith, believing the word of God? Most of them came with the right attitude. But he says, listen, this woman didn't even come with the right attitude. She didn't know. She said, she can't do it. The Lord bless you. He says, all I could say was, Lord bless you, sister. You may go and be healed. He said, but oh, see, but it's not just there. She'd... Why? She'd been here and there and everywhere. You see them like that. You can't do that. He's describing the right mental attitude. You can't have that kind of, well, if I just get to this, brother, lay hands on me. If I just get to that one, if I get in this prayer line, if I get up here, if I get over there, if so-and-so comes and preaches, I know I'll catch it, and that'll be it. He says, you can't have that attitude. Because that person can't heal you. You've got to take God at his word. Oh my. 
Take a hold of God's promises. Say, God, you promised to save me. Hold on to it. Stay right there with it until you're saved. God, you promised me to fill me with the Holy Ghost. Just stay right there till you get filled with the Holy Ghost. If you're sick, you promised to heal me. I'm staying right here till you heal me. There you are. That's the way you do it. Stay with it. God is infinite. He's unchangeable. He cannot change. He does it in an unexpected ways. But hold on until it comes. He's not talking about just staying in a physical location. He's talking about the right mental attitude. Don't all of a sudden get your thoughts all scattered everywhere else. Stay right in that channel until God comes and meets you in that channel. If your desire is to be filled down the soul, you've got to clear out the channels. You've got to get your thoughts aligned with the Word of God to allow Him to move so He can drop that mental faith down into spiritual revelation. Hallelujah, because that's what the new birth is, is a personal revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And unless you first get a mental recognition of God, you'll never get a spiritual revelation of God. Hallelujah. He says this, he says, and he goes on in the same quote, this is the unchangeable God. He says, don't tell God what and how you want him to do it. He will do it the way he wants to do it. See, don't tell him how to do it. Amen. Lord, help us never to get that way where we say, God, I want you to do it this way. We're going to orchestrate the service this way. Lord, whatever you want, let the Spirit of God move and let's give room for him to move within ourselves. Hallelujah. They had to get in one mind and in one accord. They had to get their thoughts in line with the Word of God. It wasn't that they went around the room and said, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about vanilla ice cream. Okay, vanilla ice cream, vanilla ice cream, vanilla ice cream, vanilla ice cream. Okay, everyone's going to think about vanilla ice cream now. Ready? Um, vanilla ice cream. Had nothing to do with it. But they begin to think about the Word of God. And they begin to just talk about it. Until all of them were thinking on the Word of God. Till all of them were thinking on the promise Jesus said. What did he say? Go and wait till you're in due with power from high. What does that mean? And they begin to fellowship upon those things until God began to move in their midst. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they didn't have any preconceived idea of how God was going to do it. They had to get all that out of their mind. How this is going to happen and how he's going to come. Well, the angel said this. You've seen him disappear. He'll come again. Therefore, it must be he's going to walk in the room like he did when he walked through the room and he broke bread and fish. And No, they had to get all that thinking aside. Say, Lord, I got no idea how you're going to make this happen, but you're going to make it happen. Far be it from me to tell you how to do it. Here's the importance of humility, your attitude towards the word within yourself. Don't, just put condi- don't you put conditions on Christ. Just be it unto me according to thy word. That's exactly what Mary said. Oh my, be it unto me according to thy word. If she was like any other 17-year-old girl getting married, she had all kinds of ideas and plans and what she was going to do and when she was going to get married and her and Joseph, how they were going to travel and they were going to build a home and it was going to be like this and their first child would come, you know, two, three years after marriage and it would be just perfect, everything planned out. All that had to go. Say, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. No thought for Joseph. This was personal. (laughs) Didn't come down and say, but Lord, what about Joseph? No, she says, God, if you're telling me this, you can take care of Joseph. If you want me in this way, you'll take care of my husband. Hallelujah. If you want me in this way, Lord, you'll take care of my wife. Hallelujah. 
That's the attitude I got to take every time I go out on the mission field and go traveling. Lord, if you want me to do that, you'll take care of my wife. She's got three young kitties and taking care of them. Lord, I trust that you'll take care of them and somehow they'll make it along because I got to go because God, you're calling me to go. Be it unto me according to thy word. Hallelujah. Not a manipulative attitude. Let's jump forward here, sorry. Matthew chapter 16. We won't turn to it, but God, we know, we know the story very well. How that Jesus began to ask and say, you know, who do you say that I am? And who do people say I am? He said, some Elias, some Jeremiah, said all these different things. Who do you say I am? And God gave Peter a revelation to say, thou art the Christ. Now, I will guarantee you, Peter had been thinking on this a long time. It wasn't just like, I never thought of this before. He'd been thinking about this, having a mental recognition Watching Jesus day by day working, going, this is, this is really somebody. This is really Jesus. This, is, this must be God. This really is the Messiah. And that's all they were thinking on. This is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. They didn't have a real revelation of what he was there to do at the moment. And we find that out just about four verses later. When Jesus says, I'm, I must die and, I, and they're going to kill me and I'm going to raise again on the third day. And what does Peter do? Takes him by the scruff of the neck and says, Bar be it from them to ever do this to you. I'm going to make sure they never hurt you. Sorry, buddy. But what happened? Jesus turned around and said, Get behind me, Satan. What a roller coaster. Three verses earlier, it was, Oh, my. My Father in flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed this to you. Praise be to God. Three verses later, get behind me, Satan. You know what happened a few verses later? He begins to instruct Peter and the disciples and begins to say, except you'd be willing to take up your cross and follow me. You don't understand, Peter, the things that's going to happen. It's coming hard. And then you get into chapter 17. What happens in chapter 17? He takes Peter up on the mountain with James and John, and he's transfigured right before them. Whoo, what a great revelation. I just seen Jesus glorified, and there was Moses, and there was Elijah with them. This is wonderful. And they come down off the mountain, and they're asking some questions. A little while later, they bring to him a boy, and what does the, what does the father of the boy say? I brought him to your disciples, Peter, and they couldn't heal them. But he was given power. He, he was up on the mountain. He had this great revelation of who Jesus was. It's up and down and up and down, up and down. This is what mental faith does to somebody. Up and down and up and down. It was a phenomenal time because we find out what happened. Jesus, we know, says this kind doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. And oh my, and, and, and Peter may be feeling down on himself saying, I couldn't do this. Then we go down a few more verses in chapter 17 still, and what happens? Jesus says, hey, Peter, got a hook you keep in your pocket. Go throw it in the, ri- in the river. The first fish you catch, pull it out, and in, the, in its mouth will be a coin. Pay our taxes with it. Peter's up again. Glory be to God. I'm on the mountain now. Come what may, we're going we're gonna to watch over this. No one will ever take me. But every time Peter got up, you know what he ended up saying to the Lord? They'll never kill you. I've got you. We are going to make you the king. Because that was his idea, his mental faith of what he was there to do. 
but he wasn't recognizing the season of the anointed word. And Jesus was not dismayed from the season of the anointed word. He kept it and he was always mindful of what season am I at? I must go away. I must go in the ground and die. I must be planted. They have to kill me. Why? Because he recognized the season that's here is the atonement needs to be made. Something has to take place. And he was recognizing the day and his season. What happens today? We need to recognize our season of the anointed word. Oh, what season? I mean, let me just close off with, it with a few quick quotes here. As Brother Brown says this, and the world is falling apart. Actually, let's back up to a paradox. He says, now do you believe God with all your heart? Then put your hands on one another. Start praying to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he says this this way. He says, how could you be any closer to Jesus Christ than you are right now? It just takes a recognition. Lay your hands on one another. Pray the way you would do in your own church till God would fill you with the, Holy, with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He says, and the world is falling apart. He says, now listen. Mm. He says, listen, this is good. He says, keep praying. Just keep praying. He says, everybody, just keep praying. I pray for you. I'll do all I can do, but I can't give you the Holy Ghost. God has to do it. Listen to these next words. He says, look, form Christ right before you in your mind. Look out there and see if you see Christ before you as you close your eyes. So nothing to do with the physical. He says, have a mental recognition of God to allow him to move down and give you the revelation of who he really is. How do I get the Holy Ghost? Put Christ right before you in your mind and look out there, he says, and then walk into it and say, Lord Jesus, here I am. You and I are going to be one from this on. I'll take every word that you've told me tonight. Now just stay there. Just keep staying there. If you stay tonight, tomorrow, the next day, whatever it takes, just stay there praying and believing that God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. Just put that image before you of Christ in your mind and then walk towards it until you start to walk right in until you recognize, oh, I am in Christ. That's often how the Holy Ghost takes place to some. It's instantaneous. And they look at it, wow, this is amazing. I've been set free, delivered. I got a different life and a new life. But to many, it comes to this kind of a place. It's a walk. It's a slow walk that you begin to put it before you until you can look back and go, I'm not who I once was. I'm a different person. That image that I put before myself way back there and begin to walk towards it, I'm walking in it now. It's the same thing for healing. He says, listen, in the message, what shall I do with, because Jesus called the Christ, he says, listen, he says, it's your faith. You've, it's never your feelings whatsoever. If my hand isn't straight, it doesn't have one thing to do with it. It's my faith that does that. He says, right before us, we see the image of a perfect healed person by faith. And then we just make step by step till we keep right into that person and just walk right into it. Praise be to God. So when someone looks at you and says, how you feeling? I'm great. You ain't lying to them. Hallelujah. When someone looks at you and says, but you're still, I see you're still in the cast. Your arm's still withered. You still have a limp. You're still in the wheelchair. You're still throwing up all the time. 
I'm great. I'm healed. Praise God, I'm healed. What does it matter? You say, oh, you're lying to yourself. No, I'm not. I'm looking at the unseen. I've put an image in my mind that has nothing to do with you. It's me and God alone. And I put that image in here, and I'm going to keep walking towards it until it manifests itself in reality. Oh, praise be to God. I'll just say it this way. If you can do it for yourself, do it for your family. Put that image in your mind and say, Lord, I believe I'm going to have my family sitting here and this one sitting here and that one sitting here. Put that in your mind and keep praying to that end until God brings it to pass. It's not up to you. It's up to him. Hallelujah. doesn't matter if someone comes and sits in the pew that you reserve for your family. If your family comes, they can move. Praise be to God. You just put that image in your mind and keep walking towards it. Oh, my. He says, listen. He says, here. Has any of you got a duck nature here? What's he talking about? Ducks like water. When they smell the water, they just keep going quack, 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 off to the water. Doesn't matter about anything else. You can put anything else in the way. They got water on their mind. Praise be to God. He says, anyone in here? He says, we got a great big pool back here. If you can smell it, you've got a whiff that God remains God. He says, if you've got a whiff of from heaven tonight that God keeps his word and he's a miracle working God and you haven't received the Holy Ghost yet, you better just smell the water. Hallelujah. And the first thing he said, do was what? Repent from the bottom of your heart. Lay yourself on the sacrifice as a sacrifice on the altar and you will be consumed of the world and born again of the spirit and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He will fill you with the Holy Ghost. Go through the right process. He will keep his word if you'll keep the right mental attitude. Don't worry about you went down the water, you came up and I don't feel any different. Doesn't matter. Just keep the right mental mental attitude towards the divine promise of God. Say, God, you said you'd fill me, so you will fill me. It's not up to me to put conditions on God and say, it's got to be the moment I'm under the water. It's got to be the moment I come out of the water. It's got to be the moment I say this or I do that. That has nothing to do with it. Lord, however you want to have it, let it happen. If I got to be at work, let it happen there. If I got to be at an altar, let it happen there. If I got to be in my bedroom alone with myself to God, let it happen there. If I got to be speaking with my spouse and all of a sudden they say something, it just burst over me. Lord, help me recognize it. Don't let me go astray. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. We mustn't walk and go at this with a half-hearted attitude. We have to go at it with a fully surrendered attitude. Recognize the anointed word for your day. What is it today as Christ was the first one to raise from all the prophets and so forth? Oh, although typed in many places, he was the first fruits of those that slept. Jesus rose first when he went and he died and he went in the grave and he rose up first. Who was the first one in that resurrection? Christ came up. And after him was all the ones that the saints that had gone on before that were waiting. Why were they waiting? What a kind of a resurrection. Brother Branham says this. He says, oh, think about it. He says, hallelujah. I'm sure you see what I'm talking about. It was waved over the people the first time there will come forth for the bride age for a resurrection out of dark denominationalism will be a message that the full maturity of the word has turned back again to its full power. And being waved over the people, he says, because I live you live also speaking of his wife because I live you live also then he says what a resurrection that was 
Speaking of the resurrection, when Christ rose up as the first fruit and all the dead in Christ came up with him, what happened? Who came with him? Those that had the right mental attitude towards the resurrection. Those that didn't have the right attitude and said, it don't matter where I'm buried. Just put me over here in Syria. Put me over here in Egypt. Put me over here in this. It doesn't matter. They didn't rise. But there was those like Joseph that said, don't leave my bones down here. Take me back up and bury me up there. It was those like Abraham that said, no, no, I'm not going to let you sell this field or just give me this field. I'm going to buy it off of you for the right price because this is the way that God promised it. Because I don't want anyone to say it was anybody else, but it's my revelation, my attitude towards the divine promise of God. It was Job that had the right attitude and said, though my skin worms destroy this flesh, yet in my flesh shall I. I see God. What was it? It was an attitude towards the resurrection. Job started out with the wrong kind of an attitude. They said, well, the flowers, they go in the ground, they die, and they come up again in the spring. But what about man? But one day he got the right attitude. When that attitude changed, it was, oh, though I die, I will see God in my flesh because I know my Redeemer lives. Hallelujah. And it doesn't matter if I die. So he says, what a resurrection that was. But then he goes on to say, what a resurrection this is. To be quickened from the dead, to be made alive in Christ. Oh, he, the word, was waved over them. What is the anointed word for this day? It's the body word of the Son of Man being waved over a mature bride to bring about another resurrection. Maybe I'm stuttering and people don't understand me. What is the anointed word for today? It's to bring about another resurrection. Not just a resurrection of the dead. And not just a resurrection from dead denominationalism. But it's both of them. It's the word of God in the people that would come to such a place. What kind of an attitude do we have towards it? Oh, that's got to be somebody else. Then it will be somebody else. Because the attitude that you take towards the divine promises of God is what you'll get out of it. Oh, that all would have the right mental attitude. All that had the right mental attitude towards the resurrection. Down through seven church ages. It's time for them to come forth again. What a resurrection this is. All that live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. Even death. But God will deliver them out of them all. Even out of death. Through seven Gentile church ages, great men filled with the Holy Ghost preached like Jesus was coming tomorrow. Preached that the rapture was going to happen in their day. They were just believing it, preaching it with everything they had. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Not understanding why, because if the church had known it wouldn't be 2,000 years, they would have gotten relaxed. But God didn't let them know a time. He just said, I'm coming soon. Hallelujah. But it's because of the opening of the seals that we are living. We know without a doubt. Are you with me? We know without a doubt because he's revealed all the mysteries. 
The only prophecies left to be fulfilled have to do with four things. Judgment, tribulation, millennium, and eternity. All of those are after the rapture. So what's the anointed word for our day? To bring us to a body change. What's our attitude towards that? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Heavens and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So what kind of an attitude ought we to have towards this? The right mental attitude. Yes, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. I got no idea how you're going to bring it to pass. And I don't care. I just care that it happens. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep Hallelujah, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be ever with the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Put that image before you and walk into it. Hallelujah. That ought to make you jump out of your seat. Come on. Put that image before you and walk into that. Say, who's going to be there? I got no problem putting an image of them in the, in the pew. What about putting my loved ones in a rapture? Yeah. Oh, I don't know about that, Brother Andrew. Why are you putting conditions on God? Why are you putting limits on God? With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. It doesn't matter about our human limitations. He doesn't have any. Let's allow him to put that image in our minds and walk into it and say, Lord, one of these days, I'm seeing my mama sitting somewhere. I'm seeing the sister, brother, brother Harold coming back and sitting over here. Sister Noreen coming back and sitting over here. I'm seeing these ones coming back. I'm putting that image before me, and that's what I'm walking towards. Let's stand to our feet. He says, and now, in other words, when you become a young man or a young woman, and like God takes a picture of you, and no matter how old or how wrinkled, hallelujah, or how disfigured, what kind of shape your body's in, or whatever it will be, It'll wind up right down on through. He says, oh, and that body may be destroyed, disfigured, burnt, eaten by the lions, decayed in the grave, whatever it may be, but it, may, may, but it was made up of gases, 16 elements of the earth, calcium, potash, petroleum, cosmic light, and so forth, all goes together to make up the body now, no matter what, the whole earth is filled with that, but now, this picture is the main thing. What's he talking about? The one that God took of you in your prime. That's the main thing. Then in the resurrection, those gases and ashes and things come right back up into a place and develops this picture again. This picture was not taken when you were 16 or 18 or 20 years old at your best. When was it taken? Before the foundation of the world. 
Hallelujah. And it was put in God's great file. And then the only thing it did was featured itself here to make you, for you to make your choice. Hallelujah. You're a special feature of God's great library. Hallelujah. Special feature tonight, end time message tabernacle. Hallelujah. You're here just as a special feature of what God had in his mind. He says, doesn't matter what happens and how far this body gets decayed away from that. It'll come back to that. Him foreknowing it makes him a redeemer as we've been through it. He says, and that picture absolutely is the negative. The negative part of life is where you're living right now. Sorry, that picture, this is the negative. The negative part of life is where you're living right now. And everything, if there's a negative, there's got to be a positive before there can be a negative. Now, if you just take your mind right down and, and you narrow it right down into being a photographer, the negative gets developed into the positive. But if you back it up a little bit, that was a picture of a positive. You took a picture of the real thing. And out of that came the negative. The real thing was in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. And standing here before me is the negative of that. And now it's being developed back into the positive again. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He said, this ain't the real thing. This is only a foreshadow of the real thing that's to come. So I don't care what they would do with you. They can't destroy that profile. That picture in God's great gallery up there, it cannot, they cannot destroy it. It's in heaven. You could burn it up, feed it to the lions, do anything you want. It'll come forth just as sure as the two and twos is four. Just as sure as God spake it. It will come forth. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Just keep your mind on that till it drops down into a spiritual revelation. I am the resurrection. Jesus was there, the anointed word for his day. What was he saying? I am the resurrection and the life. And she so becomes him. That down, that little part inside of them, not this negative part, but that positive part is the resurrection. And when you got the right mental attitude towards that, I believe with all my heart, and I'm going right on a limb right here to say this, I believe with all my heart that'll produce the resurrection. If you can believe it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's a good song. The original life. The original seed. God's attributes were manifested to his bride in this last stage. God's attributes were manifested to his bride in this last stage.
the word of God coming back to its full power and authority in a people again Jesus Christ the body word of the son of man that's what we've been feeding on for what to become it that's what it is because if, if we like the meekness of Moses when he said no I'm not taking anybody else I'm not taking anybody out of the picture Lord you came for all of them you delivered all of them Jesus, he didn't just die for some, he died for all of them. What about us to have that kind of a meekness, our attitude with the word of God towards others to say, no, you're coming with me in a rapture. You're coming with me. You're part of the body of Christ. And I'm not going without you, so straighten up. Stay in line. Stay in line, Brother Benham would say. Why? Because we're going somewhere. We're going up. He didn't say stay in line until he realized they were going up. And then some started to come off. And he started to cry out, stay in line, stay in line. Don't let the devil pull you this way and that way. Scatter your mind and your thoughts. Keep your thoughts centered on the word of God. The right mental attitude towards every divine promise of God will bring it to pass. Amen. Even the rapture and the resurrection. Why do we exclude it? Yeah. Well, it's good for healing, Brother Andrew. It's good for salvation, Brother Andrew. But the rapture, I mean, that's just God's timing. Absolutely it is. But we're in the season. That's the season of the anointed word we're living in right now. So let's have the right mental attitude towards the body change that every time something happens, we just keep walking. Praise God. Got a new wrinkle this morning, honey. Don't matter. Brother Branham said his wife was wondering where has all his hair gone to. Where were they before I had them? They're there waiting for me again. What's he talking about? In the positive picture, I was at a full head of hair. Doesn't matter how much this negative loses and all your little bald spots going on back here. Doesn't matter. I'll have a full head of hair over there. It'll be nice and curly like it was before. Praise God. Oh, how we look forward to that. We ought to have the right mental attitude towards every divine promise of God. Hallelujah. We are called unto adoption, full authority and power. Sleeping saints awaken for us for translation. 